So turn with me to our anchor text. Our anchor text for today is lifted from John chapter number 11. We're going to read several verses of scripture. And as we do, we trust that the spirit of God will instruct us. He'll inform us and he will teach us. As you turn to John chapter number 11, which is our anchor text for today, I want to also remind you of our anchor text for this entire series, which is simply Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. In Numbers 23 and verse 19, we are reminded of this truth. We are reminded of this this attribute of God that he is steadfast, he is faithful, he is unchanging, he is faithful. And in Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, the writer reminds us with these words, in fact, they are the words of God, God is not a man that he should lie, nor is he the son of man that he should repent, that he should change his mind. Change his mind about his plan, change his mind about his promise, change his mind about his purpose, or even change his mind about you. Nothing about your life is a surprise to God. Everything about your life was factored in to God's plan even before one day ever came to be. Think about that for a second. God factored into his call. God factored into his purpose for your life every misstep, every mistake, every rebellious, disobedient act, and he still put his hand on you, still put his hand on me. For the Bible declares even before you and I were formed in our mother's womb, God knew us and he ordained us for this purpose. And the scripture reminds us that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable without repentance. He is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent or change his mind about you no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. He's still believes in you and he's the kind of God when everybody else is saying shame on you he's the kind of God who will declare from heaven over your life shame off you everything about your life the good the bad and the ugly was factored in and he's not a man that he should lie nor the son of man that he should repent he loved you then And he loves you right now. I don't know who that's for. But receive that. The scripture reminds us that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he didn't wait until we were perfect. Didn't wait until we got our act together. When we were at our worst, he went to the cross. Because his love for you and his love for me is not performance based. That's the law where you have to perform your way into God's approval. And can I just set some people who are approval addicts free this morning? God loves you no matter what. He loves you and he loves me with an everlasting love and his mind about you, his thoughts towards you will never change. Isn't that what he said in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11? I know the thoughts that I have toward you. Thoughts to prosper you and not to harm you. I want you to hear that. The promise keeper has said, when I think about you, Damon, when I think about you, Jesse, when I think about you, Nancy, when I think about you, Cassie, these are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And the scripture says that our God does not lie, nor does he change his mind. Notice what it says next. Has he said it? And will he not do it? If it came out of his mouth, he has every intention of fulfilling his promise. So you and I can rest in that this morning. 
Come on, somebody. In the old church, they would say it this way. He may not come when you want him, but he's always, always right on time. And that's why you may find yourself. You may find yourself standing on the promise of God that's yet to be fulfilled. And you're asking yourself that question, will God do it? Can God do it? And will he do it for me? Numbers 23 and verse 9 ought to be your anchor today. Make it the anchor of your soul. When the vicissitudes of life are tossing you to and fro, let down the anchor of Numbers 23, 19, knowing that our God is steadfast, that he is faithful, that he is the Lord and he does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Unchanging, immutable. And it's not based on what you and I do or don't do. For in Timothy, the scripture declares that God is faithful even when we are unfaithful because he cannot deny himself. Hey, we we go. (laughs) Hey, man, buckle in this morning. (laughs) Uh, There's a little bit of turbulence in the forecast on this flight. Come on, somebody. You are traveling today on the soul plane. (laughs) Come on, somebody. All righty. Turn with me, if you would, in in your Bibles to John chapter number 11. If you do not have a Bible with you, the text will be on the screen. Some of you follow along on your mobile devices, and we'll be reading from John chapter number 11, beginning... At verse 1, he is a promise keeper. Now, the scripture declares that there was a certain man who was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of both Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. I love that John takes the time and the effort to clarify exactly who he's talking about so that as we read the text, we don't confuse this Mary with the Mary down the street, that we don't confuse this Martha with Martha off of Sam Rayburn, that we don't dis... Come on, somebody. We don't confuse this Lazarus with another Lazarus who has the same name. About who he's introducing and the narrative that follows. I want you to hear this now. Two sisters and a brother, one happy family. How many realize that life sometimes is filled with interruptions? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And here is an interruption that has come to the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And the scripture declares that Lazarus was sick. 
I don't know if you've had to care for anybody who was sick. But if you have, you know that sickness can be all-encompassing and all-consuming. That your going and your coming, your rising and your sitting can be dictated by a person's health. This is an interruption that has shaken the very foundation of the Lazarus house. Because now, Lazarus is not only sick, but his sisters, Mary and Martha, are left to care for him. The scripture continues over here in verse number three. It says that Lazarus was sick, therefore the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, (laughs) behold, he whom you love is sick. This was no ordinary relationship. This was no casual relationship that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus enjoyed with Jesus. This Lazarus who is sick is loved by Jesus. And how many of you realize sometimes you can have the love of God and the favor of God and interruptions and disruptions can still visit your house unannounced. One of the commitments that I've made is to stop doing pretend church. I'm glad this passage is in the scripture because if we were just left to examine the lives of Christians to determine how God interacts with us, we would miss most of the story. Because the way most of us do is we come dressed to the nines in our Sunday best like ain't nothing going on. And all we show is one version of life when the truth is you can be loved by Jesus and still have a disruption in your house. And the enemy will play and pray on the minds of believers and say, if something is wrong in your house, something must be wrong with you. Yet the scriptures declare that this man was loved by Jesus. Notice what happens next. They send this party, this entourage to Jesus to inform him of his friend Lazarus' plight. And notice Jesus' response. It says, when, when, when Jesus heard what was said, he responded with these words. This sickness is not unto death. Somebody say promise keeper. He gives them a crystal clear, succinct promise. This sickness will not end in death. Somebody say promise. But juxtaposed with the promise, he follows the promise with a declaration of the purpose of the sickness. We'll come back to that. He says, this sickness will not end in death, the promise. But he declares the purpose for the sickness. And notice what he says. Notice what he says. He says, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. 
Are y'all with me? This sickness will not end in death, but there's going to be divine purpose that comes out of this. I, the son of God, will be glorified through this disruption, through this interruption, through this disturbance in your house. And notice what Jesus does next. He doesn't only give a word of assurance to the people who came to tell him that his friend Lazarus was sick. He does something else that absolutely boggles my mind every time I read the text. Because notice what happens next. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. Verse number 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. I'm going to read that again. So when he heard that his friend Lazarus, whom he loved, was sick, he sent word to them, and then he sat right where he was. Didn't budge, didn't move. Right where he was for two more days. You know the title of today's message? If I were to title it, it would simply be this. He loves you enough to wait. Mm -hmm. Father, take these words and seal them in our hearts. Lord, I pray for the one who has cried out to God, who has sent word to the master, who has sent word to the savior. And all they have is nothing. All they have is nothing. Lord, would you show yourself this morning to be a God who is not only a promise keeper, but a God who is faithful to fulfill his purpose in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I came on assignment this morning to encourage somebody as we look to the scriptures together and understand the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. Let me revisit the backstory that this is no random family. This is a family that Jesus knew very well. In fact, whenever Jesus came through Bethany, he stayed in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. If you read Luke chapter number 10, this is the same house that Jesus came into. And the scripture says that Martha was frantic with preparation because she was hospitable. Jesus is in the house. Let me make sure he's comfortable. Let me make sure he's well-fed. Let me make sure he's taken care of. And can you imagine how Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home was the envy of Bethany? Because this is the same Jesus whose fame had been noised abroad. This was the healer, Jesus. This was the friend, Jesus. I can imagine that whenever Jesus came through Bethany, people wanted to come over. You got those kind of friends with, 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 with. When they know somebody special at your house, they, right, 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 what you doing? I'm going to come over for a few minutes. Y'all know them friends, right? 
This is the kind of relationship that Jesus had with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Not only that, not only was Martha the worker, always the first to serve. Church doors open, she's there. Anything you needed, she did it. She always kept a towel to wash people's feet. Always had an open door to God's people. Martha never met a stranger in her life. And if Jesus would do it for anybody, surely he would do it for Martha. But not only that, what about her sister Mary? The scripture says this is the same Mary in Matthew 26 and verse 7 who took a costly vial, a costly jar, a costly flask of alabaster that was worth a year's wages, poured it out on Jesus' feet and washed and wiped his feet with her own hair and worshiped. This is the same Mary who had to push through the crowd of men in Simon's house when all the men were looking down at their noses at her. In total contradiction of what was acceptable socially, because you know you're not supposed to be talking to a man if, she ain't your, if he ain't your husband in public, let alone pressing through a crowd and touching the feet of the rabbi. But she was such a passionate worshiper that she wouldn't even allow what society dictated to stop her from getting to Jesus. There was so much passion in this woman called Mary for Jesus and her reverence and that, that, that she pressed through the resistance and, pressed through the, and took a year's wages, a year's wages, and poured it on the master's feet and washed his feet with her tears and her hair. Surely, if Jesus was going to show up for anybody, he was going to show up for them because they had history together. And as a result of their relationship and their friendship with Jesus, they make a reasonable request. They're like, Jesus, come on now. <laughs> we go way back. <laughs> you remember the chitlins? Oh, my bad. No, Jesus, Jesus was Jewish. He didn't eat chitlins. Remember that meal I laid out for you? Fish fry. There it is. Two fish, five loaves of bread. That was a fish fry. Fish sandwich. Remember when I poured out the oil on your feet in worship? Now, now, now Jesus... You owe me one. So, so, so they said word to Jesus. They said word to Jesus. And, and, and the people come frantically to the house. Rabbi, master, uh, your friend, your friend Lazarus is about to die. He's at the point of death. Jesus is sitting there. Jesus' response is, this sickness won't end in death, but my name will be glorified through it. So the people he sent, frantically, because this is good news. This sickness won't end in death. Lazarus is sick, but the master, the rabbi, has promised it ain't going to end in death. So, so, so they hustle back to Bethany, and they come to Mary and Martha. We've got great news. Mary, 
Martha, we found Rabboni. We found the master. We found the teacher. What is it? What, what did he say? What did he say? Uh, this sickness uh, won't end in death. Uh, Lazarus is going to live. Um, in fact, Jesus said he's going to get glory out of this. So Mary and Martha go to Lazarus' room. Lazarus. And they shake him. Because uh, he's resting. And he's tired. And his breathing is labored. <gasps> Lazarus. <gasps> we just heard from Jesus. And his eyes open. What did he say? He said, this sickness won't end in death. And the smile parts his lips. <gasps> this won't end in death. <gasps> Hold on, Lazarus. Uh, Jesus is coming. And then one hour goes by. <gasps> and then daylight turns to nightfall. <gasps> and then one day goes by. And Mary and Martha, are you sure you heard what the master said? Did he really say he was coming? Did he really say this thing would not end in death? Lazarus uh, pounds on the bed. Martha! Mary! And they come in and he can barely breathe. And is he here yet? No, Lazarus. He's not here. <gasps> Hold on. He'll be here. And two days go by. And Mary... And Martha are sitting by Lazarus' bed when he breathes his last. And he's gone. And it's one thing to be late to show up to pray for your friend. It's an entirely different thing to promise that you're going to be there and that he's going to live. And you, he dies and you ain't even in the room. I'm talking to those who have wrestled with disappointment with God. You have given him your very best. You have cooked him his favorite meal. You have poured out all on his feet. And when you needed him the most, he wasn't there. It's one thing, it's one thing to be held up. It is an entirely different thing just to stay where you are and not move. I'm talking this morning to the ones who hear me talk about God as the promise keeper and are wrestling internally with the times when you needed him the most. And you still feel like he didn't show up. It's one thing to say, Jesus, you my boy. Jesus, you my friend. And on the basis of our relationship, I'm going to make a reasonable request. I ain't asking you for a whole lot. I'm just asking you to do what you've done for everybody else. I'm asking you to do what you did for the woman with the issue of blood. I'm asking you to do for your friend, your friend, Lazarus, what you did for the man with the withered hand. And on the basis of that relationship, they make a simple request. <laughs> and like, Jesus, why are you going to play with me like that, man? Didn't you say this wouldn't end in death? I'm sitting 
by my brother who is dead and rigor mortis has set in and there is no sign of Jesus. Now it's one thing to not be there when your friend dies. It's an entirely different thing to miss the funeral. Mm -hmm. At least Jesus could have been considerate enough to say, I didn't show up when they needed me, but you know what? At least I'm going to show up at the funeral and express my condolences. Oh, you know what? Maybe I'll pay for the repast. Maybe, 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 maybe I'll give them some money. But to miss everything? To miss everything? And you say, you love me? I'm talking to that one who is wrestling with how much God claims he loves you. Notice what the scripture says. Let me read verse 6 again. Of verse 5. Or I could even go up to verse (laughs) 3. Because over and over, we find a common theme. They love Jesus, and Jesus loved them back. But he loves you enough to wait. He loves you enough to wait. In the moments of your life, when it seems like God has not answered the promise, what I must begin to trust is his purpose. Mm, say, Pastor Ray, what you talking about? Remember he said this sickness will not end in death, but that the Son of God will be glorified in this or through this? I have discovered that there are things in life and there are seasons in life and there are moments in life when God doesn't show up because he wants to honor the promise. He shows up because he wants to fulfill his purpose. And sometimes the purpose of God is so much bigger than just healing someone you love. Mm. Uh, Koketso, why don't you come, my brother? Koketso uh, is uh, originally from South Africa. Koketso is uh, an Ivy League graduate. He graduated from Brown University, has a degree in engineering, and he's going to help me for a second because as, as I study the text, I see this tension. I see this tension between God the promise keeper and a God who is sovereign and committed to his purpose in spite of the promise. And so I started to think about this for a long time, and I said, God's a promise keeper. The scripture says every promise of God is yes and amen. What he said he will do. And I started to think about this whole thing called, anybody ever hear of this thing called gravity? What's the law of gravity say? In, what goes up must come down. So if I throw this handkerchief up in the air, 
What do you imagine is going to happen? If I throw this, you're not sure about it? This, this, <laughs> he got Koketsu up here. He's like, is this a magic handkerchief? What's going to happen? It's coming down, right? Why? The law of gravity is an established law. What goes up must come down. Well, what happens with an airplane, though? An airplane not only taxis on the runway, it is able to fly long distances in spite of the reality of the law of gravity. So why is the plane, the airplane, able to defy the law of gravity? Help us understand what's going on with the airplane in spite of the law of gravity. So, yes, as Pastor Ray put it, um, physicists tend to say, you know, where, where there's gravity is not a good force because, like he said, it always pulls you down. And so we always joke, you know, Christians that are also in science that where there's gravity, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, <laughs> The, the reason why um, airplanes are able to take off is because they're essentially able to overcome two fundamental forces, um, which are because of the momentum. So like he said, gravity is the force that pulls you straight down. However, um, as the plane takes off, there's also a force that drags it back. It's called drag force. Um, so you have two fundamental forces. One, you're not able to go up, but two, you're also not able to go that way. So in order to do that, you need to overcome those two and in order to do that, you have to add two more forces because physics tells you for every action, there's an equal but opposite reaction. So in order to overcome that, then you need to add the force of lift that takes you straight up. But in order to go that way, you need the force of thrust. And that's why you have your engines. And so your engines thrust you forward and then your lift takes you up. And that's what keeps you in the air. And so that's... Uh... <laughs> that's good. Just stay right there. Come on, somebody. Just stay right there. Pull up a stool. Pull up a chair because I might call on you again. Sure. Yeah, he, he is single. And he's got a British accent, ladies. Come on, somebody. Y'all heard him dropping science with a British accent? Show him how we do it in Wakanda, brother. All right. Let me get back to the text. So Jesus deliberately, deliberately on purpose waits two days. We're going to pick up the narrative here in verse number ah, verse number 17. Are y'all with me? Are y'all tracking with me so far? We're going somewhere with this. Uh, so when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Did any of this take Jesus by surprise? None of it. Now the scripture says, Now Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles, and many of the Jews who had joined the women around Mary and Martha to confront them concerning, uh, their comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming. Hey, y'all see Martha? Notice what Martha did. Martha didn't wait for Jesus to get to the house. She went and met him like this. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. You ain't coming to this house. I'm going to meet you before you get here. Come on. Can you imagine being Martha? 
Your brother's been in the tomb four days. Jesus, you said you loved me. And you show up now? I got some words for you, Jesus. Oh, yeah, I got some words. Okay, you're not Jesus. I got some words for you, <laughs> for you Jesus. Notice what happens. Uh, it says, Mar uh, Martha went out to meet him, but Mary was sitting in the house. A again, I, I, don't know, I don't know about you, but I'm in the house with Mary and Martha. The silence. Well, maybe some silence, but some mourning. I know my brother's dead, but I'm thinking that Jesus didn't show up for me. He told the people this wouldn't end in death. I thought he was a promise keeper. But when she heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. It says that many other Jews joined him. And in verse 21, notice verse 21. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Whoo! Ah. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Father. Father, would you just touch us now? Father, deal with every, every ounce of disappointment. Every ounce of disappointment. Every ounce of disappointment. Father, I pray for those who are crying and weeping over dreams that died. Dreams we put in your hand. Ah, that have gone unfulfilled. And we're asking the question, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The story doesn't end there. Because Martha is just one of those radical chicks. Can I say chicks? Is that even politically correct? She was just radical enough that even in her disappointment, her faith, her faith was still challenging her. To stand not only on the promise, but to trust the purpose of God. That if Jesus said this thing ain't going to end in death, it ain't going to end in death even though I buried my brother. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But notice the, the next verse. She says, but even now, even now, even now. Even now, I put him in the tomb. He's been in there four days, but even now. I'm talking about people with the even now kind of faith. That won't just let a stone in front of a tomb kill their dream. Even now, even now, even now. I just feel prompted by the Lord to, to say to you that it's time to pick up the dream again. You roll the stone over the tomb, roll that stone away and pick it back up. Because even now, God is still able to do not only what he promised, but he will do it according to his purpose. Are y'all with me? Notice what the scripture said. He said, he said, even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, 
God will give you. Even now. Even now. Verse 23 says, and Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Come on, he's a promise keeper. And then Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. I'm talking to the people who need to believe again, even after your Lazarus died. That's what he's calling us to this morning, to believe again. He's calling us to find even now faith. And the scripture says, and when he had said those things, she went her way and she secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and he is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then Jesus, then the Jews who were with her in the house comforting her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, (laughs) if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, He groaned in his spirit and he was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? I I believe this morning, God is asking each of us that question. Where have you laid your Lazarus? Where have you laid your last disappointment? Where have you laid that last thing that you trusted God for that didn't happen when you thought it was going to happen? Where have you laid it? For some, it may have been a singing career. For some of us, it may have been a certain career path. The Lord saying today, where have you laid it? And the scripture goes on in verse 39 and says that when Jesus came to the place Where Lazarus was, he said, roll away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time, there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. How many of you realize you can welcome Jesus into your stench? You can welcome Jesus into your funk. He will walk right in there, walk all through it, and he will still do the miracle in spite of your stench, in spite of my stench. Most of us laid the dream down because we know where we fell short. And we think that maybe he didn't show up because of something we did, but Jesus is comfortable with your funk, and he's comfortable with my funk, and he wants to walk all in there. And he's saying, roll away the stone. I'm about to wrap up. I'm about to wrap up. Notice what the scripture says. Where are we? Verse 39. And Jesus says, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? The scripture says, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of these people who are standing by, I said this 
that they may believe that you sent me. I'm talking about the promise of God and the purpose of God. Right in this verse, Jesus trying to help us see that this whole thing with Lazarus wasn't even about Lazarus. This whole thing that happened with Lazarus was really about Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to let you die so I can raise you back up so these naysayers, these faithless people will see me. It's just a setup. Lazarus, this thing only going to last four days. But this ain't about you. This is about me and what I want the people around you to see about me. Those people who don't believe, those people who don't trust. I'm just going to use you as part of my plan and my purpose to show my glory. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. The promise is like gravity. What goes up comes down. You get sick, Jesus heals you. But sometimes the purpose of God is like drag and lift. Y'all didn't hear what I said. Sometimes God will, what's the word I'm looking for? He will circumvent the promise in order to accomplish his purpose. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Sometimes Jesus will delay the healing in order to perform a resurrection. Because his purpose is so much greater than just the healing. And so Jesus is sitting there for four days. He's in the tomb and he said, Lazarus is in the tomb. Jesus is sitting there waiting because Jesus knows when I show up, I'm going to heal this guy. But there's a whole lot of other people who need to witness my glory. And so when it seems like God isn't answering your prayer on your terms, when he says he may not come when you want him, but he will be there right on time. That's what it's about. It's not about the healing. It's about the resurrection. It's not about the promise. It's about his purpose. It's so much greater than just what I want when I want it. Let me tell you why. Why Jesus had to. Because it's common knowledge that the people who hated and challenged Jesus the most were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees believed that a person wasn't officially dead until the fourth day. They believed that the soul didn't leave the body for three days. Jesus didn't show up until he had been in the tomb four days. Therefore, it was irrefutable to the Pharisees and the Sadducees that this guy was dead. Jesus could have shown up on day one. He could have shown up on day two. But Jesus already knew, Lazarus, you're going to live. I gave you the promise. This thing won't end in death. But the whole reason I'm going to sit here two more days is so that the glory of the Son of God may be revealed. So that these people who don't believe me will believe me on the fourth day when I raise Lazarus from the dead. Is it possible? Is it possible that the delayed answer to your promise is because God sees something much bigger? And God saying, hey, baby girl, hey, son, I trust you with this. 
And I love you enough to wait. Because there's people connected to you. There's witnesses to this story that need to see me in all my glory. They already know me as Lazarus the healer. Maybe I want your life to be the story that reveals to everyone that I am Jesus, the one who walks in resurrection power. Can I just tell you that if you feel like the promise of God has gone unfulfilled in your life, it's because God has a greater and higher purpose beyond just what I want. That's why, talk about promise keeper. Let me tell you about one of the most profound promises in all of scripture. Most of you know it by heart. Romans 8.28 declares that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. If he's a promise keeper, that's the promise we need to lean on. You know what that means? That even sometimes when it seems like the thing I was waiting on him for, when I brought my Lazarus to him and he didn't do it the way I thought he would do it, he didn't do it when I thought he would do it, I can rest on this promise that even the disappointment, even the delays, even the detours, I have a promise from the promise keeper that all of it, all of it will work what? Together for my good and his glory. And God intends to keep that promise in your life. Even in the midst of disappointment. Even in the midst of delays. Because God subscribes to a higher law than just the promise. And that higher law is his purpose. How can I use this situation with Lazarus to accomplish my purpose? And a lot of times we think it's about us, but God says it's about more than just you. I'm going to use you, and I'm going to use your circumstances to show a whole nother side of who I am. And in, my, in, in the purpose, I mean in the process, a whole lot of peace. in the process, I will fulfill not only my promise, but I will fulfill my purpose. A few years ago, and this is where I close. Have y'all noticed in this whole series I've only had one closing? <laughs> y'all didn't even notice. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to get through these 7,000 promises. I got to stick to one closing, Pastor Jesse told me. A few years ago, well, several years now, I was on the phone with my pastor, uh, from Clarksville, Tennessee. He's my mentor, my father in the faith. And as I got off the phone with him, he said, hey, Ray, I'm walking into the doctor's office right now. I'll call you when I, got, when I get out. The next time I spoke to him, it was because his wife had called me. She said, David is dying. He's diagnosed with a very aggressive form of lung cancer. Same kind of lung cancer I think Peter Jennings had. And in three months... This father of four, who had dedicated his life to the gospel, was gone. A few months later, come on somebody, I get a call because another mentor of mine, Russ Tatro, 
who had dedicated his life to the mission field in Africa. Standing uh, in the aisles at uh, Walgreens or CVS Rite Aid, falls over dead from a massive heart attack. That same year, that same year, at Christmas time, I get a Christmas card. And you know how some people write like an update or they type out an update and say, hey, this is what happened to my family this year? I get this Christmas card, man. And I open this Christmas card. And it was from a third mentor. And when I say mentor, I don't even use those words lightly. He had been a missionary to Liberia when I was in high school. He was my basketball coach, and his wife was our band instructor. Y'all don't know this, but I can blow a mean, well, I used to be able to blow a mean saxophone, man. Come on, I might have to pull out that sax for Christmas. Oh, my wife said, stick, stick to the story. Okay, let me stick to the And so I played the alto sax, and his wife was our band instructor, our band teacher. And uh, in the letter, man, like you guys by now have no doubt heard about Missy. That was his wife. And he says, I'm left with these four kids, but God's grace is sufficient for me. So in a matter of a few months, from about June to December, I lose three mentors. All people who love God and who serve God. Uh, Missy... Uh, uh, her husband, Angus, had gone out camping with the boys. They had two sons and two daughters. And, and Angus went out with the two boys camping. The next morning, he gets this frantic phone call from his daughters. Mom won't wake up. Mom won't wake up. So he hurries back home, only to find that she had had a brain aneurysm while she was sleeping. I had big questions for God wrestled with God. And it was from that place of brokenness that the Lord took me through this whole journey of understanding how his promise and his purpose work. He said that all things, all things, he promised that, that all things about your life, even the disappointments, even the delays, all of it will work together for your good and for his glory. There's more I wanted to say, but we're out of time. This morning, though, I just want to pray for you. And this is what I want to pray. I want to pray this. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more details about City Church and for other resources, visit us online at www.citychurchtv.com or contact us via email at info at citychurchtv.com. If you were encouraged or inspired by today's message, we ask that you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, either in a one-time gift or as a monthly partner. No gift is too small. We have three convenient ways for you to give. Via our website at citychurchtv.com backslash give. Via text, text citychurchtv and the amount that you would like to give to 77977. By mail, mail your check or money order to City Church Global Ministries, 
8105 Razor Boulevard, Box 90, Plano, Texas, 75024. Once again, thank you for downloading today's message. We look forward to connecting with you soon.